This documentary has been 35 years in the making. I've been thinking about this for a really long time. I need to back up a little bit to kind of explain how we got here. I went to school in Wapato, Washington, and in first grade, I met Chief Rice. We had known each other pretty much all our lives. We did Little League Baseball together, and we danced together at the Cultural Unity Fair in middle school in eighth grade. And then when we started high school, we lost touch. The next thing I knew, he had been arrested for murder. I was his only friend to act as a character witness to try to explain. <laughs> and how do you explain to an extremely angry, tight-knit community how a kid from the reservation murdered upstanding people from the farm and, and orchard world? And that was such a big part of who we were as a valley, as a community, that it almost became the reservation versus the rest of us type of mentality. He got life without parole at 17 years old. He was one juror away from the death penalty. Now I know at 17, 18, everyone's thinking those that had some sort of support or kept their head down and stayed out of trouble, they all wanted to go to college and move on with their lives. I did the same. And it was really hard to constantly think about him being in prison while the rest of us had moved on. One of the cool things that I found out later was that he married his middle school sweetheart, who had been one of my good friends going through school. I was never super close to anyone, just for the sheer fact that we lived in a very rural area and my parents were very much into having us work on the farm, learn, how to take care of ourselves and to make sure that we went on to college. I think they were trying to scare us that how hard farm life was and they weren't kidding. So I went on to college, got my master's degree and just seemed to gravitate back to the reservation. I ended up working at two different Native American casinos as a marketing director. And when my son was 17 years old, I just had this overwhelming feeling that I needed to connect with Chief again. And I, I didn't realize at the same time he was looking for me. He needed me to write a statement because there was an opportunity for him after 35 years in prison that they were now looking at the juvenile sentencing and considering that they may let those that had offended while they were juveniles give them the opportunity at parole is basically what it came down to. This law has been approved, taken back. It's moved around several times and we're still watching the game of ping pong as it comes back up again in House Bill 1396. That would let any juvenile offender out in 25 years. Now, you might say, well, if they commit a heinous crime, shouldn't they stay in forever? Or you might say, you know, that seems like a fair amount of time. If we have, and I don't think we do, but if we have 100 years, because my grandma made it to 102, not that she wanted to, but even if we have that long, do we get a second chance? Do we get a do-over? How many times have we all reinvented ourselves and started a new career 
and grown and changed who we are. I know I've done it about 50 times. I feel like I'm a different person, probably, I don't know, every decade. But do we condemn someone if their first offense happened to be murder? Do we give harsher sentences to kids than we do to, to adults? There doesn't seem to be a true fair system or equal system pretty much anywhere in the U.S. And don't even, you know, get me started on other countries because we know we have it really good. But how could we be better? How could life be more fair? And how could life on the reservation be so different than places off the reservation? Why are there so many women missing and murdered that are indigenous? It's beyond an epidemic, the forgotten. Do you believe that people can change? And how much of a change can they really make from being the most hated person in an entire valley to someone who is motivational and uplifting and so into their culture that they've learned a new language and they've learned new spiritual guidance methods that would blow your mind. Restorative justice, helping others really reflect on themselves and taking responsibility for what they've done, who they've hurt. Reminding people that when you hurt someone, you don't just hurt them, you hurt their entire family, you hurt your family. If you're incarcerated, you don't go to jail alone. And how many people think about that? Well, Chief does. <laughs> that I can tell you. The numerous conversations that we've had over these past few years will just astound you. His outlook on life, his, you know, it's not their problem, it's my problem. And I know that. That kind of attitude. How many people, you know, walk around feeling sorry for themselves or feel that they're owed something? I know that we all are guilty of it from time to time. We're human. But with this journey of 35 years that Chief has been in prison, I can't wait to take you on this journey to show you the people that he has touched and what he has accomplished from behind bars. He's done more than most people have done on the outside in their entire lives. So should he be released? Could he have a bigger impact? on the rest of the world on the outside. And I know anytime someone leaves prison, you're wondering, will they reoffend? There are a lot of people that would definitely hang their hats on. He would absolutely never reoffend. And some of the conversations I've had with him, I catch him talking about watching true crime from prison and going, what are people thinking? And then he's like, and that's really like, I'm one to talk, but I, I just can't believe now watching this seeing these shocking things happening that anybody would want to hurt someone else. And how many people in prison can say that? It's pretty amazing. So as we take you on this journey to meet people who have known Chief Rice throughout his time in prison, I hope that you can see that there is a chance, there is an opportunity, depending on who you meet in prison, who you follow, who you hang out with, if you decide to go to the gang life or if you decide to take a ride down the red road, because there's a big difference and all natives have that opportunity 
when they enter Washington State prisons, there's there's definitely a hierarchy and there's definitely separations that we all hear about. But there's some good things, too. And the one thing that Chief realized is that no one else is going to do it for him. He's got to do it for himself. And because of a fantastic gentleman who is a spiritual leader from the Kalispell tribe, he turned the light on for Chief and set him on a journey that changed his life, changed so many lives. And you're going to get to hear from a lot of those people. Remember when I said this grew into a much larger conversation than just one kid who went to prison for life? I learned a few things. I think one of the shocking things that I learned throughout this was that my great-grandmother, Grandma Emmy, she was forced into one of these boarding schools, residential schools, run by the government and then basically farmed out to the Catholic Church. And I've always wondered why we weren't raised in the culture. My great-grandmother was full and extremely dark. (laughs) And it's so great to look back and see someone who's, you know, looked very traditional native. But my grandma tried to, what I call, whitewash us as much as possible because she had rocks thrown at her on the way to school just for being Indian. She didn't want that for us. So we missed out on our culture and being part of something pretty spectacular. The powwows, the drumming, just amazing. Some of the things that I've, you know, really begun to see and understand people who are trying to maintain their languages. Languages being taught in some of the schools. That just blew my mind that people are really trying to bring back this culture that was so not accepted and not wanted. And the Europeans coming to this country wanted to westernize everyone and make everyone the same and we all know that that's that isn't a good thing i think our individuality and having something different about us and something that we can share and teach others is so much better than just being the same and it's kind of ironic because didn't they flee europe in order to fleeing religious persecution that's it only to come force their views on someone else. I'm a descendant of the Yakima tribe of Washington State, and on my journey, I was welcomed by so many different people from so many different tribes, South Dakota tribes and Washington tribes. Absolutely, this has been one of the most enlightening and most uplifting experiences that I think I've ever had. And I'm really hoping that the information that we're sharing can really help open your eyes and your hearts. Because one of the things that I heard on this journey that I really liked was that being Native isn't in your skin, it's in your heart. And that really made me feel a lot better. Being a light-skinned Indian, Native American, Indigenous woman hasn't been easy, but I think the more I tell the stories and the more I reach out to others to try to help with what I can do on the reservation, I'm hoping to create a community to bring people together 
to lift up some voices that just haven't been heard because it's time. <laughs>